If you have your Bibles, open them up to Psalm chapter 1. That's right, we're going to do Gospel Rooted, and we're starting Gospel Rooted by looking into the Psalms. Um, here, here's the really cool thing about Scripture, if you didn't know. It's all unified, like Genesis to Revelation. It's, it's got like the same, you know, spirit-inspired. Uh, is that a word, spirit-inspiredness? Is that, I don't, I don't know if inspiredness is a word, but we'll, we'll make it a word for now. So we're, we're kicking off here in the Psalms, by the way. Uh, if you don't know, maybe it's your first time, you don't know much about what this is, this idea of life-giving, gospel-rooted, spirit-filled. Um, I'm not going to kind of define this every single week. Here's the cool thing. Ask someone around you, because if you go to church here, hopefully you know, and I need your help telling people about that. There's also things in the back that you can pick up that kind of talk about this. But these are our core values for the year, gospel-rooted, spirit-filled, uh, life-giving, community, and belonging. And so those are my sermon series. So today we're kicking off a new series through the month of March that's going to be all about being a gospel-rooted church. But that all starts off by asking the question, what does it mean to be gospel-rooted? How, how do we root into the gospel? Those are two questions, I guess. But those questions kind of open up a bunch of other questions, namely like, what is the gospel? Guess what we'll talk about today? What is the gospel? It's a, it's a good thing to talk about in church. Uh, but, but even more so, like, what does it mean to be rooted into something? I spent a lot of time this week trying to think about what does it mean to be, to be rooted in. And I think the idea, right, you, you heard it right here, roots aren't meant for mobility. They're meant for stability. Uh, they're meant to lock you into a thing, into a place, uh, to lock into something that's reliable and unchanging in order to, to draw the necessary nourishment of life, you see the imagery, right? This is kind of the idea that we're working on when we use the word rooted. So when we're talking rooting into something, uh, we're talking identifying with that thing in an unchanging way. So now we've taken roots to, to identity, and hopefully you can see that tie. They're very similar things there, that when you identify with something, you're, you're rooting into that. And to prove that, you can just talk about how, um, if you were ever going to say the term, like, I'm planting my roots in Portalis, right? Or I'm planting my roots in whatever job. Generally, you're meaning you're identifying with that thing. So if you're going to plant your roots in Portalis, it means you, you may be looking to start a family in Portalis, or you might be uh, looking to kind of know Portalis politics and, and who you're going to vote for for mayor. And that, that's what it means to root into something. And, and so uh, it's really interesting when we're talking about then identity and identifying with that. Uh, anthropo anthropolo anthropologists? That's too big of a word for me. Like this. Too, too far out there. Anthropology, anthropologists. These are the people that study uh, like humanity and, and how cultures form and how do we think about things. Um, they, they've done all these different studies and they found, it's amazing, it's so universal that we find our identity in stories. That, that it's something that's not unique to any particular culture. It's not unique to any particular individual. That you take an American from 2000, you take someone from a, an African bush country, you take someone from medieval Europe in the 1600s, all the way, that, that we form our identities out of the stories that we tell to one another. And you probably know this is true on an individual level, because the likeliness is maybe even your parents have told you stories um, about how you were when you were really little, and that's still kind of how you are today. Do you guys have stories like that, that your mom said, like, this is what you did when you were five years old, and you're like, I still do that at 30, or maybe I just never grew up. I'm not, I'm not sure there. But so I have, I have stories like that. My mom uh, tells, tells the story often of how after her and my, uh, my dad got divorced, I was three years old, and she remarried my stepdad. I had just turned four. So at four years old, I was learning to talk. I was learning what it meant to, to tell people 
everything that four, four-year-olds do, do this, right? Um, and so mom said every time we would go out to eat, she said it was like clockwork. Every single time we would go to a restaurant, waiter or waitress would come in and say, hey, my name is so-and-so, uh, what would you like to drink? And she said I would be the first one to, to butt in, and I would say, like this, I'm, I'm going to quote it to you the best I can tell you. Hello, my name is Philip. This is my mom, Melanie. This is my stepdad, Scott. He's not my real dad. My mom and dad got one of them divorces. I want milk. <laughs> Every time. She said just that exact, like I had memorized it as a four-year-old. She's like, it got to the point that we we're like, do we even take him out to eat anymore? Like, I don't want to have these guys. And I'm sure the waitress is like, yeah, sure, w- wonderful. This is my job every day. Do you guys have stories like that? That you, you just, like, you identify it's something you did as five because for me, like, that's still kind of within my own personality. Uh, I have had multiple times in the last eight years of my marriage where I'm talking and Haley has to come in and say, Philip, they don't care about this story. You don't have to tell everyone everything about you. I promise it's okay. And I'm just like, I'm going to tell everyone everything no matter what. It's just something within my, you guys have stories like this, right? Because we use stories to form our identities. So the person of who you were at four and five years old, those are going to be the stories that form and shape the way you think about the world and your interactions with people at 30 to 100 years old. This is just how we, we operate. We connect with these stories, and it changes and it forms our identities. This is why uh, there's currently a whole market. There's a store, it's called Box Lunch. Uh, there's one in Albuquerque in the mall. There's one in Lubbock in the mall. And if you go in, it's just all this memorabilia from like millennial pop culture stories. So uh, you can go in and buy like Harry Potter t-shirts or Doctor Who or Pokemon. And like as a millennial, it's like this is like the coolest store in the world. And a lot of you aren't going to care about things like that. Why? Because you don't know the stories. You don't think about the stories. But for someone that has the intrinsic memory of, of being in fourth grade and staying up till midnight for my stepdad to, to go and take me to Walmart to get a book so I can run home and read it, like, that's a big part of me. That's who I am and what I do. We identify with stuff like that. And then what we do is we wear the memorabilia of that thing. So if someone else identifies with it, what do we instantly have? We have a connection, right? We, we, we have community. So I'm going to put this to the test. We'll, we'll see how this goes here. Um, all I need you to do is, is raise your hand if you recognize a phrase. I'm going to say a phrase from a movie, um, and I want to see if any of you recognize it, okay? Um, we'll start with this one. I love you 3,000. Has recognized that one? Every, everyone that's like my age is raising, raising their hand from there. Hey, fair enough. That's what I thought. What's I love you 3,000 from, right? Avengers. This is, this is Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is the classic line in uh, the, the latest Avengers movie. Um, if you've not seen it, I'm going to go ahead and assume. It's been a few years. I'm going to spoil it. You don't... Sorry, you missed your chance. You've had, you've had years to watch this. So uh, in, in the movie, the, one of the key characters is, is Iron Man, right? Um, and Iron Man has a little girl, and like they're going back and forth, and there's this beginning of the movie, touching moment, like, I love you, Dad. I love you. And then she comes off and says, I love you 3,000, to like his, I love you too. So like, I love you all this much. Then when the movie ends, the whole big climax of the movie is Iron Man sacrifices himself to save the world. He, he dies. Um, it's like that story is ingrained into us for a particular reason, one man dying to save humanity. It's like there's a real thing that happened with that. Um, anyways, uh, and so at the very end, it's his funeral, and he's like super technologically advanced, and so he has this hologram of himself, and he closes it out by telling everybody, I love you 3,000. And like everyone in the movie theater is like crying and snotting and Right, because we have that shared experience. Those of you that went to that movie, you know that saying from having that, we, we connect on that. It's a story that resonates within us. You may not know that story because you never watched any of that, but if I did something like, there it is, right? You guys know that story. 
Because you, you remember that. I, I was wondering if the mic would pick that up or not. I didn't know. I thought I would try it out. So, so there's a gonna, your stories tell you things about yourself. So while I know something about those of you that, that love Avengers and know the I Love You 3000, I know something about you that know the Andy Griffith theme song and the things that you're going to be tied to and the things that you're going to like because the stories that we consume integrate within us and change the way we think about the world. So how do we then lock ourselves, root ourselves into the gospel? Well, we tell ourselves the story of the gospel. We let it integrate into us. We root into that. If First Baptist Church is going to be a church that roots its identities into the gospel, then we need to know the gospel story. It makes sense, right? So over the next few weeks, we're, we're going to talk about some practicals about how, how do we root into this story. But I want to start out in, in Psalm chapter 1 and 2 because I think this is going to be our launching point to, to really discuss in detail how does all of this play out in, in the lives around us. How does this play out as we really root into the gospel? Let me start off, to set, start off by setting context. That's right, even, even the Psalms have, have context. Uh, the Psalms, though, are unlike any other book in your Bible. They're, they're a little bit different than, than any other book. Uh, it, in Proverbs, is kind of similar. But Psalms is not like a start-to-finish narrative. It's a compilation of a lot of different writings. Uh, actually, a lot of different writings spanning over like 800 years. We even have a Psalm from Moses. And so you're talking from Moses to, to David to, to the sons of Korah to, to the temple and choir directors. And um, so these are just a collection of works that were either personal prayers of, of leaders and key figures in Israel. Uh, they were uh, choral music that they would come and sing in the choir. That's what some of these psalms are. It'll say for the choral director. Um, the, this is what this compilation is. And so what goes on is over years, the temple starts writing these down and saving them, and they'll bring them out and sing them from time to time, and you would memorize them and learn them and integrate them and worship with them. This is, this is their amazing grace. This is how they respond to, uh, to God. This is their worship program. Now, if you know anything about Israel's history, what ends up happening is, is over time, uh, they, they go from Saul to David. David does a good job. David then dies, and, and the leadership comes to Solomon, who starts off really well and then squanders it all. And then after Solomon dies, his sons go to war. There's this giant civil war. There's the split of Israel and Judah, um, these, these giant problems. And, and from there, things just keep getting worse and worse. And so God keeps sending these prophets in. Guys, you need to change. If you don't change, it's, it's not going to be good. And Israel still doesn't change, and they still don't change. And finally, this all builds up into uh, what's called the Babylonian exile. This is when the giant city of Babylon marches onto Jerusalem, just lays siege to the city, burns everything to the ground, and draws people out. I think a lot of times we don't understand the devastation of that, but we've been put in a situation just in the past few weeks that we recognize that devastation because we've seen videos of what that looks like. They lose their temple. They lose the means by which they are to worship their Savior. They lose the, the way that they're supposed to do sacrifice and life. And the question is, how will they ever meet with their God again if they don't have the temple? It's been destroyed. This is where the book of Psalms comes in. Because what they do is they take this compilation of all these different, different writings and songs, and they put it all into one work. And, and they organize it to where it's to have five books in the work. Do you know anything else in the Bible that has five books? The, the, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And this is going to be the new way that even though they're in exile, that they can start to worship God again. This is the restoration of remembering and recalling and worshiping God. And so Psalm 1 and 2 are the introduction to this compilation. 
the, the setting of, of this tone for what the Psalms are supposed to be about. So even though these two Psalms may be written hundreds of years apart, there's some sort of tie in, in between them. Psalms 1 is going to be all about personal holiness, contrasting, contrasting the righteousness of those who meditate on God's instruction versus the wickedness of those who don't. And then Psalm 2 is going to hold in, uh, hone in on the struggle between God and evil, this idea of ungodly nations, which, again, put this in context, right? You're in Babylon. They've come in. They've taken everything away from you. They've marched you into a land not your own. They've been captivated, enslaved you. They've renamed you and given you different Babylonian names. This is the whole story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All of this is going on at this. And if you're in Babylon, totally cut off from your heritage, totally cut off from your family, your home, your temple, your, your story, then these two things become a highlight factor of everyday life. Because living a righteous life in, in a culture which does not celebrate the righteousness is, is going to prove difficult. What do you need to focus up on? Oh, how do I live as a righteous person in a world that is very unrighteous? Also, you're, you're living under uh, wicked rulers, and that can lead to this constant state of, of concern. So how do you maintain hope when the nations that are above you are leading you to places that you don't want to be? The question that Psalm 1 and 2 is asking is, how do you root into this promise of God, this promise of good news, e even when it seems like everything else surrounding you is trying to uproot you? You want to talk about relevance to today. So I don't know about you guys, but do you ever feel that way? That, that man, I want to maintain and live a godly and righteous life. I, I want to do this the way God intends for me to do this. But, man, there is everything in this world trying to take me away from it. It feels like every story, every encounter, every modern philosophy is doing everything it can to challenge what I believe right, right here. And you want to talk about feeling like you're subjected to wicked rulership and watching on the news of people take advantage of one another and attack. And how, how do we respond to that? Don't tell me the Bible's not relevant. It is very relevant to exactly what we're dealing with today. You guys ever feel like you're living in a world constantly trying to distract you or dissuade you from this? Do, do, you, do you feel like you're living in a time where you're looking at the brutal, ungodly actions of nations, wondering, God, where are you? Welcome to Psalm 1 and 2. Let's read it. How happy is the one that does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or set in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they're like chaff in the wind blown that blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way but the, of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw the ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. 
I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. I will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the sun or he'll be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. And all who take refuge in him are happy. I love this idea. My original thought was going to be Psalm 1, but I feel like we have to talk about the connections between Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Because if, if you remember, if you were here back in February, uh, when we started in Genesis 1 and talked about life giving, we talked about a bracket system. That Genesis 1-1 starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that the uh, Genesis 2, it's going to say, and this is how God created the heavens and the earth. Well, guess what we have in Psalms 1 and 2? We got brackets, right? Look at the very first word of Psalm 1. How happy is the one. And if you go to the very last sentence of Psalm 2, all who take refuge in him are happy or blessed. Your your translation may say the word blessed. Do you think there's a bracket here? Yeah, absolutely. There's a bracket about how are we to be happy? How are we to be blessed? So it's this idea. Honestly, I was thinking about this this week. I don't know how much I like the word happy, but I'm not sure how much I like the... I understand the word blessed either. Happy, happy to me is like a, a childish emotion, right? I, I don't know, because every time I hear happy, I hear, if you're happy and you know it, clap. Yeah, right. I was curious if anyone was going to clap. I had a few. That was cool. Um, you know, but that's kind of what I associate with happy. But, but blessed, on the other hand, is like a very hyper-Christianized word that, that often we just kind of tie to in like material values. Like, got a new iPhone, hashtag blessed. And it's like, is, is that why you're blessed? Going to the beach, I'm so blessed. And it's like, b- blessing is just what you get out of a relationship with God for some reason. It's, it's kind of just like prosperity gospel with a little bit of more Christian connotation over the top of it. Um, really, when, when we're getting into what this word is uh, in, in, the, in the Hebrew, it's a little bit different than all of that. I actually really like the New Living Translation of this. It starts off by saying, oh, the joys of those who do not follow in the advice of the wicked. And then it closes out, what a joy for all who take refuge in the sun. The, the idea is kind of this, this idea of fulfilled purpose. So, so the first time this word, there's two different Hebrew words for blessed. One of them is the traditional word baruch, which is, you know, when God is telling Abraham, I'm going to bless those who bless you. That, that's the term baruch. Uh, if you've ever went and sat in like a, a Hebrew Lord's Supper, they'll, they'll say stuff like baruch Adonai, bless be the Lord. Um, But this one is not the same word. This is a different word. The first time it's used is in Deuteronomy chapter 33. Moses is about to die. He's giving his final blessing to all the different children of Israel, the different tribes. And he closes out and he says, Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper, your glorious sword. So, so why, is, why is Israel blessed? Well, because God has called them out. He's given them a purpose. He's given them fulfillment, a, a joy-filled, fulfilling purpose. So, so Psalm 1 and 2 is this idea of how do we find joy-filled, fulfilling purpose? Well, Psalm 1, by not walking in the wicked ways, but instead delighting in the Lord's instruction. And then Psalm, Psalm 2, by taking refuge in the Messiah, in, in the Son. So, so which is it, Right? Is it, there's like a light flashing around here. So, so which is it? Sorry, I shouldn't draw attention to stuff like that. 
Um, which is, are, are we blessed by delighting in the law or are we blessed by taking refuge in the Son? And the answer is yes. It's exactly how we're blessed. And do you see the gospel taking root right here in Psalm 1 and 2? Yeah, absolutely playing a part in this. If you want to be a gospel-rooted person, if you want to find the consistent fulfillment of purpose and hope found in an unchanging reality, then it demands both a delight in God's instruction and a belief in Jesus. Both are at play. So let me just take you really quickly through some of these texts, and, and then we'll draw out our points, and we'll, we'll close out there. So, how happy is the one that does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers? And a lot of commentaries and preachers talk about, you know, walk, stand, sit. Here's the idea, guys. Don't just, like, go be around wicked people all the time. I'm not telling you don't ever go be around them. Jesus obviously infiltrates the world of tax collectors and, and broken people. Yes, we have to infiltrate the world that way. But make sure you're keeping your roots within the gospel. That, that's the idea here. But instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. So Hebrew for the word instruction here is the word Torah, which often gets translated law. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Sometimes it can be tied into the other writings of it. But, but what's, what's the whole point behind this? Hey, meditate on the writings that you've already heard. Remember these stories, guys. Think back to how God calls Abraham out of the land of Ur and how he continually forgives Abraham when Abraham messes up. Realize the characteristic of God and let that story sink into you and change the way you see the world. In fact, this idea of meditate, the literal Greek is just to, to murmur. Like, just say it out loud to yourself every day. Quote it, remember it, ponder upon it. And the ones that do this are what? They're, they're rooted in. They're like a tree next to a stream, drawing whatever it is they need out, out of this. And the ones who aren't like this, they're like chaff. I think a better word, if we could like start a portalis translation of Scripture, would be tumbleweed. I think that the one that doesn't do this is like a tumbleweed blown against a fence and waiting for someone to pick. Yeah, but you guys know what tumbleweed means, right? The whole problem with tumbleweeds is how, how deep do their roots go? Not at all. That's the whole way that they make more tumbleweeds is they, they blow and spread their seed. And Yeah, and so what the Bible's saying is if you want to be like that, feel free. Don't root into anything, but go ahead and know, guess what's going to happen to you? You're just going to get blown about everywhere. And some rancher is going to come pick you up and throw you over his fence, and you're going to blow to another fence until finally you find a rancher that's going to stamp you out and burn you. So I don't, you can make that illustration however you want to. Here's my point. We have to root into this. We have to root in and meditate and think about what God has done and what he will continue to do. We have to know these stories. And the people that don't know these stories, just, just get ready. Because this is why the nations rage in chapter 2. Why, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Because they're not rooted into who God is and what he says to be true. That they're just going about whatever their emotions tell them to do and how their own validation tells them to go, that they're failing to root into these things. And so they say, let's, let's tear off all of this, verse 3, and do our own thing. And, and what does God do, verse 4? He laughs. God says, we can, you, I promise you, you can think you've got it all figured out and you've rooted it in and you've solved the world's problems and God will laugh at you because we fall so inferior to the God who has declared truth. So root into that truth. Oh, and, and what is that truth? Verse 6, 
that God has already installed his king on Zion. Now, again, if you keep this in context, this is really weird. Again, imagine with me, you're an Israelite in Babylonian exile, and, and you're, you're sitting there, King Nebuchadnezzar, head, head of Babylon. You've totally lost every single ounce of power that you once had. And you're going to reflect and say, but God's installed his king on Zion. What, what king? David's dead. Solomon's dead. All the other kings have, are long gone. What king? Well, he's already said what king. You just may, may have missed it. Verse 2. The kings of earth take their stand, and the rulers of earth conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. You guys know what the word anointed one is, is in Hebrew. Hebrew. Meshiach, which is where we get our word Messiah, absolutely. And in the Greek, the word Messiah gets translated into Christ. By the way, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It, it's a title. Jesus, Messiah, the one that was talked about in the Old Testament, the one prophesied, the one that's came to fulfill this, the one that now reigns forever on his throne. So Psalms 2 says that what has God already done with Jesus? Given him the throne. God the Father has already taken the throne of Zion. Even when Babylon's in control? Absolutely when Babylon's in control. Even when the nations rage? Absolutely when the nations rage. Even when the entire world is constantly trying to uproot us and move us and take us away? Especially when the entire world is trying to uproot us and take us away. Guess who is still on his throne? The Messiah. Psalm 1 and 2 is pointing us to this reality that if we reflect and meditate and think about these things, then we remind ourselves that even when the nations rage and we stare at our TV screens in disbelief that God is still reigning on his throne, that he's still in control. Yeah, I love it. So what do we do? What do we do? Verse, verse 12. And all who take refuge in him are blessed. Do you guys see a story at play in this? There's a story that it's telling us. A story making statements on right and wrong and good and evil. But, but it's not a battle. And it's not uncertainty. And it's not, well, maybe God can come through this in some way and somehow. This is a rooted tree with everything it needs. This is an eternal king ruling from his throne for all eternity. This is the gospel that we're to root ourselves into. The gospel that declares Jesus rules and reigns forevermore. And we root like that tree. And what happens? We, we bear fruit. This is what we'll be talking about. Let's do this, and this is where we'll, we'll close out. How do we do this? How, how do we root into this story? Number one, we, we root into this story by delightful meditation. By just thinking about it. Like, this, this isn't rocket science, right? So often I think we, uh, we set people up to fail in their daily Bible study. By the way, this is what the sermon next week is going to be all about. How do we, how do we meditate? So I, I got to be careful not to, like, kick into this too much right now. But we set people up to fail in this because what we do is, like, every day you need to be reading your Bibles. Oh, how do I do that? Well, you need to read it and figure out what God's telling you about that day. And so what do you need to do? And what, what I don't know, if you guys have a similar story, this is mine. Every day I'd open my Bible and I'd read it. And he'd be like, okay, what's the one thing that God's telling me to do about this today? And like, if I didn't come up with a conclusion, I felt like I failed. And if you feel like you fail at reading your Bible enough times, guess what you stop doing? Reading your Bible. Is that the command that Psalms is laying out? Read your Bible and find something to do about it. Because I'm just saying, if you start a new Bible reading plan, you know, you might have fun until you get to like Genesis 6 and you're like the sons of God and the daughters of men and the Nephilim. What? 
but what's the command? Just, just meditate on it. Think about it. Find a portion, lodge it in your brain, and when you drive to work that day, just let it be lodged there. Let it sit. And the question is, is God faithful to bring fruit from that seed? Absolutely is. It's, it's his word. I'm not telling you you have to have a life-altering revelation every day you read scripture. What I am saying is find a way to meditate on it. And that might be big picture, read it for hours, wonderful. And that might be, I just, I just need to get a proverb in today. I just need to get a proverb in me and, and soak on that a little bit. But delightfully meditate in this. And, and let it be a delight because guess what, guys? The, the God of the universe gave us this. Like, the God of the universe is communicating with us. If that doesn't, like, delight you, I, I, don't, I don't know what, what would. Right? So, so delightfully meditate on this. And then... Root in and believe in the Son. Believe that there is a Messiah. That this is what the gospel, exactly what it calls us to do. That Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, and then died for us on the cross. And he was enthroned on the cross. If you go and you read the cross story, the crucifixion, it's an inauguration. He's crowned. And he's given this golden throne. And he has this sign that says, King of the Jews. And they're all meaning it to mock him. And God, in his incredible, amazing, sometimes paradoxical wisdom, reverses it all. That you might think that my son has been beaten and killed. You might think humanity and sin has won. But all of this is him being enthroned for all eternity. And there at the cross, he bears our sins. And he dies. They take him and they lay him in a grave. Three days later, he comes back, leaving our sins there forevermore. That's the gospel. You want to be rooted in it? Tell the story. Believe the story. Know the story. Let it integrate within to you. So, so here's my questions, and just give you something to think about as we respond. Number one, how, how rooted in this story are you? Because let me just, how many stories is the world trying to tell us? A lot, you know, that, that's, that, that's to put it pretty, uh, pretty conservatively, I think. There, the world is constantly infiltrating you with story after story after story. The world is constantly infiltrating your children and your grandchildren with story after story after story. I'm not telling you that's a bad thing, okay? I've never wanted to be one of those pastors like, don't read anything but the Bible. And like, yeah, you can participate in those stories and watch movies. That's great. But what I'm telling you is if you do not root yourself in this story first, and you do not root your family in this story first, just be ready. Because your kids are going to get captivated and drawn by all the other stories of the world. And those stories are not going to have the true reality that this story gives us. Root into this story. Philip, how, how do I do that? Now, honestly, if you're, if you're a parent, you have multiple ways of, of doing that. But there's a book called the Jesus Storybook Bible. I have a copy in my office. I, I love it. It's incredible. It's a kid's book. If I were you, and I fully plan on doing this with my kid one day, um, is, is just read a story of that. Just let them know those stories. I have vivid memories of my stepmom setting me down before bed, and it was called Alice Bible Stories, and it was a story of this girl named Alice that would go back in time and spin. But I remember those, those stories. Do that with your children. Please do that with your children. And also, do it with yourself. Do it with your spouse. Do it with your community. This is why we do small groups and Bible studies and things like that. It's not just because that's our checklist and this is how you get an A in heaven class. Like, make sure your name's on the... Like, that's not what it's about. 
It's about we're reminding ourselves of these stories because if we don't constantly remind ourselves that God loved the world, that he gave his only son, I promise you everything else will distract us and divert us and we will find ourselves uprooted downstream like a tumbleweed, I don't know. Root your families into this story. So are, are you rooted in? And maybe you're saying, Philip, I don't know if I've ever even like, thought about rooting into this story. Maybe today is the day to put your faith in Christ and say, this is where I want to plant my roots. This is where I want to make my identity. I'd love to pray with you right here if you wanted to do that. Final question. How do we as First Baptists root into the gospel? And I think the answer is the exact same, right? We talk about it, guys. We make it a normal conversation. I, I promise you, and I have to be careful about this, but if, if we ever get to go out to eat, you know what I'm going to want to talk about usually? The church and the gospel and what are we doing and how do we do it better and what, because it's just, it, it consumes me. I want to know about those things. And there are times that we can talk about other stuff and that's wonderful. But if you want to make First Baptist Church a gospel-rooted church, go and talk to people about the gospel. It will not only root you in it, but you'll be surprised how many more people get rooted into this thing. So we're going to have a time just to reflect. How rooted are you in this story? And maybe it's time to say, I just need to root myself a little bit more. I'll be up here if you want to pray, if uh, maybe you want to give your life to Christ for the first time. You're saying, I've never heard that. I, I need that consistency, that story. Come talk to me. But let's be a church that roots into the gospel. Father God, we know that this world is, is so inconsistent, that there is just chaos swarming around us. We don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. And God, there's, there's concern and worry and so many broke, so much brokenness around that. And yet your story has come as the one constant. That from Genesis 1 to, to Revelation, to the early church, to us, God, you have continually demonstrated your power and control. And we trust that you can do the exact same thing here and now today. So God, let us be a church that roots into that story and let it create our identities. We thank you for what you do and who you are. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.